Hi, Matt. Um, my name is Frank Eger. I'm the Managing Director and CEO of Sovereign Metals. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Sovereign Metals itself. We have discovered not only the world's largest rutile deposit, but also the world's second largest graphite resource. Uh, we are uh, planning and developing our story to become the world's largest rutile uh, producer, but also the world's largest graphite uh, producer. I'll, I'll just ju I'll jump in there um, just to say, like, oh, and also Sapan, you're, you're in the background as well. Um, um, so we, we hopefully talk a little bit of macro with you in, in a second. Frank, I wanted to catch up with you specifically because you've had your feet under the table for three months now. That's enough time to maybe go through the data, talk to the people and understand what you've got. Is it everything you expected? Absolutely, uh, Matt. It's been quite a roller coaster. Uh, three months ago, it was pretty much, you know, as we started the, the, the management sort of transition from Julian Stevens, who stepped back onto the, onto the, onto the board as a non-exec, it was pretty much me in country. Um, since then, we've really been able to appoint some senior uh, people with long track records in mind built experience, um, on the ground, social performance experience, and, and, um, and specifically on the ESG side, so it's been, yeah, it's been it's been uh, exciting. Um, you know, on top of that, we've we've made some great progress with getting the the Rio Tinto uh, uh, relationship bedded down. We're working very well together with them. Um, you know, they often say that they are, uh, or often tell people that they are a, a passenger here. They're a fifteen percent shareholder, but they're certainly not leading the process. That's all up to sovereign to do, and and I think we're making some you know some great strides uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a very fast paced three last three months, but we we're certainly getting things moving. The the project is taking on a life of its own, um, and uh, we we're getting into you know we when we spoke last time, we finished the BFS. Uh, we were getting into a, a PFS optimization phase. Um, the teams that we've appointed in terms of you know the technical guys, the mind building team, essentially making great progress in terms of this optimization. Um, and you know we we had a little bit of, I guess uh, initially the market wasn't 100% clear in terms of what the optimization means. Um, I think we've narrowed that down, you know, to really look at specific technical elements that uh, needed to be addressed in terms of the PFS, you know, to give, to further de-risk the project, to give Rio comfort that we, we're looking at the right things. You know, specifically in terms of, uh, you know, uh, water usage is very important in any, you know, mine development these days. Uh, you know, tailings, tailing storage and tailings, hand, tailings handling. So we're focusing specifically on those things really to help, um, you know, do you risk the project further from a technical perspective? Right. Okay. Let, let me let me just jump in here again, if if, if you don't mind. Right. People really put their had a good look at you when Rio came in. So like forty million bucks for fifteen percent as a strategic investor. As you say, you are you are the guys on the ground, you know, driving this forward and looking to optimize. Optimize to me is about increasing not just the um, the D the sorry getting the de-risking components sort of, but improving margins, right? It's big, you know, n n number one retail, was it number one graphite and number two retail? Have we got the, the, the yeah? Well, number one, the number one 
Well, it's going to be 50, more or less 50-50, but yes, both, big, on, okay. big on both. Right, okay. So you, you mentioned a few things there which are really, really important for you when, you, when you've kind of come in, and you, you must have sort of seen a few gaps, and you must have seen a few opportunities to kind of in, in, improve across the board. So people, I think, is number one, right? You're an advanced development story that needs to get into production, you know? You're going to move from, you know, be raising dilutory money into actually getting into revenue. So in priority order, what's important for you to get right and, and, and get done, say, over the next 12, 24 months? Well, well, it's really demonstrating that we have the, the owner's team and the skills to drive the project towards ultimately development. You know, Rio Tinto is, is, is great in name. They have a, a strong balance sheet. They have a large pool of talent, which they've given us access to. So there's a lot of goodwill and assistance from their side, which is very helpful. But we, you know, we have to demonstrate that we as sovereign can and ultimately will develop this project. We have, um, you know, we have a lot of support from the Malawian government, as as you've noticed from, you know, the the, the president's speech at the SONA. Um, but oh, you, you, know, name, you had name checks there, didn't you? That was that was uh, quite good to see. Absolutely, you know, it it shows it shows the support. It shows, but th- but that to me is one of has been one of the key things is to appoint the right people. Get the owners team structure right. We now have we've appointed 12, 13 highly experienced um, people in the last, you know, essentially six, eight weeks. So it's been it's been a flurry. For, for what? Of, to, to do what? What do they need to deliver for you? They need to drive, you know, the the optimization of the PFS, uh, leading into scoping of the DFS. Um, there's obviously a lot of permitting that needs to be done in terms of environmental impact assessment. Uh, mining license application, community development agreements, um, social performance, stakeholder engagement. You know, these are these are all important. I mean, these are critical elements of any development story. This is no longer just drilling a hole and, you know, doing the assaying and then moving on to another rig or another hole. This is, you know, investment, investing into the communities, making sure that we, you know, we, we, we have to ensure the social license here. Without community support, without doing things the right way, there's no way this project is going to move forward. So, you know, and, and for that reason, we have to, or we wanted to appoint, you know, the, some of the best people that's been around in the in the industry. Right. So so if I, if I look at, obviously, Rio Tinto coming on board as a strategic investor is a great endorsement from one of the biggest mining companies in the world, right? You say, you've got something here. We like it. We want a piece of it, right? Great. You also... Got an endorsement from Rick Rule, one of the kind of Canadian um, investors that people like to uh, follow. He, you know, he's saying he he likes and is invested in your project for for all the for all the right reasons here. Okay, um, so all all, all good stuff. I, I think what people now want to know is right if it's this is a good story, which I think has been. If I look at you know maybe Sapan can quickly comment on this in in, in a minute. But you know, it's fairly kind of erratic share chart in the sense that not lots of ups. And downs and ups and downs and, and so forth, but but broadly moving sideways in in this quite difficult market, which I, I think some people would count as a win. Um, but how quickly can you move through the the phases? How easy is it to try for you to guys to actually demonstrate the economics of how this thing gets built and how it makes money? I mean, how are we in for another? 24 months, 36 months? I mean, when do you get to FID? Look, you know, I think we've already demonstrated that it's feasible as part of the pre-feasibility study. And we've done a number of very, you know, well-structured studies 
scoping, it's inner scoping study, pre-feasibility study over the last two, three years. We've done a lot of um, metallurgical test work. We've we've qualified the RUTAL with a number of, you know, uh, blue chip uh, industrial entities. So I think we've demonstrated this project is feasible. Now it's about permitting and how quickly we can do or get, as you say, quickly we can get through this this phase of the project. Um, we can do this only as fast as we get the support from the government. Uh, you know, we've got the people on the ground, we've got the cash in the bank, we've got the support from Rio. So we are essentially full-scale busy with our permitting process. Um, we, But having said that, we have, you know, we've established and bedded down a, 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 a very strong technical working group from that was established by the government. We've mentioned this last time, you know, in, in our, you know, when we when we spoke, but this is now starting to work. It's paying dividends. Uh, there's representation from each critical or important government department on this committee, and it's becoming again, you know, they're policing each other. If there's a document sitting on on one department's desk, somebody will point a finger to that department and say, "Come on, guys, let's go. We're not holding this project up." You know, there, there is real tangible support coming from. You know all levels of government, all departments. I mean, you can imagine the scale and the size of this project. We're going to touch every single legislation, government department in Malawi, and everybody is on board. You know, nobody is uh, essentially everybody is trying to get get you know get onto this committee. It's a privilege to be on this committee because they can see what difference or what contribution this project will make to Malawi. So, I mean, it's a it's a it's a breath of fresh air. One investment decision. Uh, we are, or well, I'm personally targeting the end of next year for that, you know, to get to that milestone. Um, some tell me it's it's optimistic, um, but you know, we, I I have a job to do, and our team is is there, and we're you know we we're operating. Uh, people are on the ground almost permanently now, working on these, you know, elements uh, that that I've mentioned. So, the next the next big thing for us. As part of the the PFS optimization is a a rehabilitation trial, a land rehabilitation trial, and that means we're going to dig a hole or a few holes, and we're going to fill those holes and we're going to rehabilitate the land to demonstrate to the communities and the government that we can restore the land to you know current and better um, standard of you know of of soil and ability to to grow maize and improve yields. Now, as part of this phase or this trial, we will, you know, it's a rehabilitation trial, but as part of the trial, we will collect data around, you know, confirming hydraulic mining, uh, dry mining, uh, you know, processing and, and separation of the various fractions of sand and slimes and testing how the slimes behave and how the tailings can be managed and stored. Uh, and, you know, we think that, well, this will, the objective here is to inform the DFS uh, and then move into that. And that we're hoping to have finished by July, August. And then the DFS or the engineering elements of the DFS essentially can start. Right. Okay. I, I, I like these conversations because it's, uh, it's what we call internally big boy talk, where you're actually, you know, advanced development conversations are really interesting because they're meaningful. It's real. It's partly because of the de-risking, but mostly the bit I like, which is demonstrating that this thing can, is financeable, right? Because that's, that's for me, near-term revenue, right? 
part of that is going to be the types of conversations that you have and who with. Now, we were meant to meet up in Cape Town, but you were swamped with, I think, what you're telling me was the right type of meeting. So, so can you give us a sense of the types of companies and the types of conversations that you were having in Cape Town? And, and, and as I understand it, I, I know you're on a road show um, as well. Look, I mean, we, you know, we always talk about, uh, and 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 we don't have to convince people anymore that this is a tier one project. Um, you know, in terms of scale, size, longevity, uh, carbon footprint, critical minerals, uh, you know, security of supply, and you know, Rio Tinto has put a stamp on it and said, you know, we're a tier one company. You know, we invested in this. This is a tier one project. And the types of people that we met, you know, were of the same caliber. You know, they were. Tier one companies, private, uh, but also public institutions and agencies from, you know, from the west to the east, um, or predominantly outside of China. Um, there's a lot of interest in in the in the in the project from a sense of a secure source of supply, certainly of graphite. Um, the rutile, essentially, I think we've, you know, we've demonstrated already. Before the Rio Tinto transaction, that we had MOUs in place with you know large um, Asian and uh, US customers. So, but from a certainly from a graphite perspective, there was a lot of interest from you know high level uh, blue chip tier one institutions and countries. You know, so it, it from that perspective, it, it it was very very. Interesting and very positive. Right. Okay. And Sapan, can I jump to you now? Because what, what are, must be music to your ears in terms of the people that are there to drive the sort of this optimization process or on board and coming on on board, and that's going to make the numbers look more, more attractive. One 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 hopes. Um, if I'm looking at the marketplace at the moment, we've spoken to a lot of titanium companies uh, recently, certainly this side of, this side of New Year's, um, or at, at different phases here. Um, and they've kind of given me a sense of what they think the macro environment is like. And I don't, I, you know, and don't, mind, don't mind if you've got a comment on, on the macro, which, which would be great. But I, I'm more interested in first mover advantage in the sense that there are a lot of players out there at different phases. And, you know, the people can get over the line soonest. You know, are they going to be the beneficiaries? Do you know, they, do they become a barrier for entry for the, those that fall behind? I mean, uh, how, how do you read the market, Safan? Yeah, um, I think the first uh, point to make is, uh, you know, we're we're, we're one uh, project company, but there are two minerals coming out of there, uh, both w which have their own kind of macro overlay. So, you know, the Rutar, which is a high-grade titanium feedstock, ends up in a market. Uh, uh, whether it's pigments, whether it's welding, whether it's uh, titanium metal, I mean, it's just a plethora of uses and, and therefore hits all sorts of uh, end end industries, right? Many multi-billion dollar industries. So, so, so that's whether we're in a downturn or an upturn, it really doesn't matter. You know, I may be selling less. Yeah, if I look at the titanium industry, I may be selling less rutile into the paints industry because we're not building as many you know houses uh, on a on a global basis but at the same time you know there's more use of titanium metal in the defense industry for example where you know um fortunately or however you take it the the, the, the world uh, continues to um uh you know kind of militarize itself um 
And uh, as you know, as long as we're, we're we're needing to put two sheets of metal together, we're always going to need welding. And if you you're going to want to weld something, you're going to need rutile. So that's you know that that game on that front. And then you've got the graphite, and you know again, graphite ends up in lithium-ion batteries, which we all know about, and electric vehicles. And we we're all expecting electric vehicles to take off, but you know what have we what have we seen recently? You know, especially out of China, we've seen. Um, EV sales haven't been as big as uh, as people expected. Now, here's the, here's the, no pun intended, the crux of the matter, which is when you're the lowest cost producer in both of these, I mean, you're you're essentially the last man standing, right? When the prices are good in both those uh, industries, you're making more cash than anyone else. When prices are bad, you're hopefully still making cash. And if you're not, that means no one else in the industry is producing anyway. So it's uh, it, 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 that that's essentially our USP. That's our competitive advantage over anyone else. Um, you know, you take graphite for example. Our cost of production, incremental cost of producing a ton of graphite out of Cassia would be about 180 bucks a ton, right? Most of our peers would not be in business anywhere lower than five, six hundred bucks a ton graphite prices. Most uh, PFSs, DFSs, studies that you that 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 other graphite producers or developers have put out into the market, you know, they're they're expecting prices up to eighteen hundred, two thousand bucks a ton for this stuff. And if you're selling something at two thousand bucks a ton and you're producing at two less than two hundred bucks a ton, it's it's a pretty good position to be in. So that's we let the we let the project do the talking when it comes to the macro i think we're in a, a good enough position largest producer lowest cost producer um to to really uh, uh, a put ourselves um you know ha- in, a, in a basket of our of our own and uh and, and be really hone in on that first mover advantage you talked about because you know we have had those discussions with the end users we have had those discussions with you know, potential financiers and all those, you know, and we continue to do so. And they all know about us. You know, Casilla was the first Rutile dominant deposit to be found in 70 years. As soon as we put our hands up and said, hey, guess what? We found some Rutile and not just some Rutile, but it's the biggest Rutile ever found. You can imagine who was knocking on our door. Just to, just to add on to that, Matt, I mean, the, yeah, you know, the, the, the graphite market is quite complicated and, and not many people understand it. But, you know, as SAP says, you know, bottom of the cost curve, this is not our primary product. This is, a, this is essentially a buy or a co-product. And, you know, we, we have the, we don't have, we're not in the position where we have to maximize flex size, you know, to make the project feasible from an you know, economic perspective. We, we, we can produce at this very low cost and we can be flexible with our end customers to, you know, produce something which they really need and want. So, you know, if we if we compare ourselves to other graphite projects, um, you know, I think we're in a pretty good pretty good spot. Yeah, look, and I, and I think I wouldn't put yourself down too much sapan on the on the on the EV side of things. That uh, sales were up thirty five percent last year, which in any other sector would be would be good news. But perhaps it wasn't this bullish as we all thought. But with with let's say with graphite, um, Frank, the you know it's it's nearly fifty percent of the of a lithium ion battery is is graphite. I think perhaps people don't. Realize that, or, is, or maybe forget forget that. So, 
um, exciting times coming forward. If I can just step back, um, Frank, because I'm trying to think from an investor's point of view in terms of where you're at. You're sitting as a, you know, sort of somewhere between, you know, 220 and 250, depending on the time of the day, mark, million market cap, uh, Aussie dollar market cap. Um, this has got a long way to go in the sense that you think by by this time, this time end of 2020, sorry, by the end of 2025, you could be in an FID position. You're going to have to have advanced some of those conversations around f financing, et cetera. PFS is good. Feasibility study. Can you give us a sense of the timing of that one? Because I think that can maybe firm up for some, for some people because of contingent um, potential financing uh, ability. We have, you know, the opportunity here to deliver on on the ground activities. Um, so that's certainly one thing which is going to be evident coming out of the next, you know, six to call it nine to twelve months. Um, in terms of, you know, financing discussions, we've already started those with, you know, various institutions. Like I mentioned, you know, there's there's interest from levels on the planet, which, you know, I think where the project. And the, and the the size of the project and the the the, the scarcity of brutal and the, the the criticality of graphite, you know, has opened up doors from a number of avenues that not any other old project, sorry, you know, not to be disparaging to other mining projects, but not any project is going to attract. Um, so those discussions have already to some extent started, um, but there's a little bit of you know on the ground activity that we need to demonstrate. We need to complete and, and progress optimization and and, and 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 firming up some of the assumptions that were made in the PFS. So we can move into DFS engineering uh, and and ultimately do and complete our permitting requirements. So you know still I, I you know I think from from where we are trading, we should be multiples of where we are. Um, but I think if we can deliver on what we what we are putting out to the market and what we, and, and and do as we do as we, as we say, I think over the course of the next number of months, I think the the value the, the share price and the value will will respond accordingly. That's my sense. Right. Okay. And and for the and one one final one from you, if you if you don't mind, because I'm just again I'm just trying to make sense of the market at the moment, which I think people are also struggling with, and certainly in terms of the. Price of some of the commodities in relation to this, yeah, this you know burgeoning gap between demand and supply coming forward. CO two net zero, whatever people you you want to label it, is going to be such a big factor for the EVs sector because they seem that see that as a big part of their marketing to be able to use the right sorts of molecules from the right uh, source. You guys have got. You know, a low CO CO two emission. You know, per per ton. What does that do for pricing? What does that do for negotiations and and discussions around, um, you know, these commodities that go into these batteries? So, look, I think um, let's take a step back. Right, we all we all lived and breathed the uh, the big ESG um, kind of up and down. Uh, where everyone was pushing, you know, the, the, the those three letters and how their their company conforms to it. What what happens in these uh, senses when we realise actually we can't just uh, continue business as usual? Is the policymakers jump in, and that's exactly what's happened here. And you know, we've seen already in the EU this. Uh, I'm not sure if you were aware, but you know, 
if you're an industrial player in the EU, you're going to have to carbon account for everything now. So you, you're producing cars in the EU. Well, tell me how what, what's the uh, carbon footprints of your um, of your windscreen wiper, <laughs> of your exhaust pipe. If you're producing EVs, what's the carbon footprint of that battery in there? And when you look back at where most of the graphite that ends up in electric vehicle batteries comes from, it's China. And most of it is actually synthetic rather than natural graphite. Now, the reality is, is if you want a, a premium type of uh, lithium-ion battery, you're going to you need both synthetic and natural graphite in there. The synthetic graphite, for every ton you're producing, you're putting 20 tons of CO2 emissions up the chimney stack. Um, kind of defeats the purpose of why you're building the electric vehicle in the first place, uh, if you're doing that. Um, we've done the work to show that, uh, you know, a ton of graphite from Casia would produce 1% of those carbon emissions. So 0.2 tons of CO2 emissions, right? So automatically, if you're taking out some synthetic graphite and placing Casia's graphite into your battery, you're, you're, pretty much just uh, mitigating the entire um, uh, CO2 emissions for that 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 part that then goes flows into your your battery which is you know all well and good from a policy perspective but this is really going to start hitting bottom lines of uh, of companies and if you look and everyone from you know BMW Boeing Rolls-Royce e- even Tesla everyone is talking about working with their suppliers working through their supply chains and working out what those CO2 uh, footprints look like and then um, bringing them that down, decreasing them as much as possible. Or if you're taking Casillas graphite, if you're taking Casillas retail and using that in your end product, I mean, that is a very quick win in, in terms of uh, saving yourself, um, you know, all those greenhouse gas emission uh penalties that ultimately you're going to have to start paying see, see i i find that that truly fascinating because you know people you, you guys have done it today you said look we're one of the you know, lowest quartile cost producer great but there's the other side of that equation which is which is the sales price right so one, one thing you control the other thing you, you can't but with things like this kind of co2 component if you're one of the lowest co2 emitters per ton produced that becomes very, very interesting in terms of you know the obtainable price from these uh, you know whether it be metal traders or, or, or contractors because ultimately the EV uh, companies demand because their marketing is driven off of it um, and will continue to with electric vehicles um, you know the the kind of cl- the cleanest greenest version of, of whatever it is that they're using so I think that's fascinating when you guys get to that point and when people are actually you know when you when you get to the point of building pilot plants and 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 you know and uh, letting people test your product. It'd be interesting to sort of get a firmer grip on what price you can achieve, you know, get the, you know, stress those margins. But lots of, lots of things to do before ne- then, Frank, eh? Lots of things to do before Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I am excited in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> no, it's very exciting. It's, uh, it's, it's really, things are moving up a notch and then it's, it's, it's great. You know, we, we really, I think it's a, it's a nice, position to be in um I, 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 it certainly is is a is a the project ticks all the boxes um everybody is excited to be part of it everybody wants to be part of it um and i and i think the more we educate the market the more 
the more investors are, are going to be want to be part of it as well.